So this weekend, uh, as we draw the series to an end, we're going to think about temptation, temptation. And Matthew chapter 6 is the passage that we're going to look at. Matthew 6 and verse 9, Jesus says this. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Singing this week, um, back to high school days, remembering my high school days back in uh, 1837 or whatever. Uh, and there was some stuff in high school I was, terrib- I was just horrible at, like chemistry. I was useless at chemistry, mainly because our chemistry teacher blew up the laboratory in our school. No one got hurt, but any time I got around him, I felt sort of nervous. So that really marred my education. But without a doubt, my worst subject at school was art. 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 Man, that hurts. My art teacher hated me. He really did hate me, and for good reason. He gave me a vitriolic report, which really summarized my utter ineptitude when it comes to painting and drawing. He just hated me, and I didn't like the subject at all. So when friends invited Kay and myself to go to one of those fun art evenings this week in Fort Collins, I felt a little hesitant. And they they said when we got there, they said, we want you to draw a tree, we want you to paint a tree in the Rockies against a moon. Well, my, my artwork was so horrendous, I just felt like it needed to be shared on a wider basis. And so here it is, here's what I did. It's terrible, isn't it? It's terrible. So then what I did, having completed this stunning thing, I, you know what you do at these things? You wander around, you see how everybody else has done. And everybody else, including my wife, had done so great. So now I'm embarrassed. And then they said it got worse. They said, we want you to sign your name on your piece and we want you to hold it up so everyone can see. So I... I went ahead and, and, and did that, as you can see. <laughs> that was kind of naughty of me, wasn't it? It was. Now, that's just for fun. I share the illustration, just a fun moment. But I share it with you to make an extremely serious point, which is this. God's name, his signature, is on our lives. We pray in the Lord's Prayer, may your name be hallowed. And as we pray that, we recognize that it is through the lives of his people that his name is made known. His name is upon us. We are Christians. That means literally little Christs. It doesn't mean that we're little gods, but it means that we are carriers of the name of Jesus. But here's the point. Satan... Satan would love to scribble his signature over the forming work of art that is us. He wants to write his name over our lives and temptation, temptation is part of that strategy. We know, don't we, that Satan, the enemy, is at work in the world. It's not rocket science to say that. After the horrors of the Holocaust, the great German theologian, Helmut Thielich, he said 
there is a dark, mysterious, spellbinding figure at work. He was surveying the work of the Nazis. He said, behind the temptations stands the tempter. Behind the lies stands the liar. Behind all the dead and bloodshed stands the murderer from the beginning. He said, dear friends, in our times, we have had far too much contact with demonic powers. So there is this recognition of dark forces at work in the earth. But we also move away from the macro to the micro that is us. And we realize that in our own personal lives, the New Testament teaches us that we will experience personal temptation. Now, let me say right away, to be tempted is to, to have a pulse, okay? If you're human, you're going to be tempted. Temptation is normal. There is no sin in being tempted. Uh, in fact, Chuck Swindoll said, where there is no temptation, there can be little claim to virtue. But temptation is part of all of our lives. Knowing that, of course, Jesus incorporated a Jewish night prayer into his teaching in what we know as the Lord's Prayer. We know from a document called the Babylonian Talmud that the Jews in Jesus' day had a prayer that they would say at night. And you'll recognize the similarities. Lead me not into the power of transgression and bring me not into the power of sin and not into the power of iniquity and not into the power of temptation and not into the power of anything shameful. This was a common prayer in Jesus' day. So he takes that and now he brings that into his teaching which we call the Lord's Prayer. So there are some vital truths for us to learn as we conclude this series. Those of you who've been looking at your bulletin will notice that this weekend I have eight points to my sermon. And some of you are very, very afraid. <laughs> Fear not, little flock. For I shall visit these points just but briefly, and you will be out in time to experience the dead chicken. All will be well. Number one, <laughs> number one, prayer is not a neutral act. Prayer is not a neutral act. You see, the Pharisees had reduced prayer into benign, innocuous speech-making that was peppered with piety. It was all about, I'm so great, I'm good. It was all about impressing others. And there was nothing terribly authentic about it, but prayer... As we pray, lead us not into temptation. We are dragging into prayer our struggles, the ugliness in our lives. We are bringing the us that wrestles, sometimes feeling ashamed as we do. We're bringing all of that to God. Prayer is not neutral. It's, it's something where we bring the real us. A friend of mine, he's from the East End of London, like me, and the East End of London is... It's the wrong side of the railroad tracks. It's like almost cockney. All right, mate, you all right? Yeah, I'm all right. Just nip up my elbows and pears. I'm a bit of a kid. Know what I'm talking about? <laughs> None of you understood a word of that, did you? And uh, he's, he's like me. He's from that. And, and I went to his church, and he's a pastor. And he became someone different when he stood up and prayed. Great and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you and beseech you today. I'm like, What's with the Prince Child impersonator? <laughs> like this guy's been mugged by a posh demon. What's that about? <laughs> Be yourself when you come 
to prayer and realize it's not neutral. There is a power in prayer. Pray when you're tempted. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, Matthew 26, he said, watch and pray. Why? So that you will not fall into temptation. See the linkage between prayer and temptation. Ephesians 6, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and keep on praying for all of the Lord's people. You see, prayer is not neutral. It's not just say your prayers. Isn't that nice? It's not just vague sentimentality. When tempted, pray. Because resisting temptation is not just about perspiration. I've got to get through this. But there is power available to us. And we experience that power often as we pray. Secondly, secondly, there's a battlefield within us all. There's a battlefield within us all. It seems strange, doesn't it, to say to God, lead us not into temptation. In a way, that's not the best translation, and I'll tell you why. It's because God doesn't lead us into temptation. James chapter 1 and verse 13, look at this. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. You see, God doesn't tempt us. What we're really saying here is, when I am tempted, bring my deliverance. Do not allow me to be overwhelmed when temptation comes. And when James talks about this, he uses this word enticed. And the word enticed there is, thank you, sir, is a a fishing and hunting word. Now, um, I am no hunter. I've been hunting once, and you could hear the deer laughing in the woods. It was... (laughs) just truly pathetic and I'm going to just try and do this I I got this illustration from Francis Chan and he did it without bloodshed but I'm not sure the word enticed it's the it's get in there it's the same it's the same word that is used for a lure a lure a lure lure There's my friend Larry sitting out there. He's my hairdresser. He, 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 he's like the guy, he's like that, the, that feeding of the 5,000, you know, when Jesus fed with just very little. Larry, it's a candy. It's going to explode your taste buds. You know you want this, but you're not having it. So that's that. Okay, let's try something else with somebody else. Let me see if I can do this, because... I'm going to up the stakes here a little. Oh, I don't like this. Get off of there. Just talk among yourselves. <laughs> don't try this at home. Okay, we got us a $100 bill. Actually, it's a dollar bill, but I knew you wouldn't be excited about that. <laughs> I've got your number, people. Okay. $100. Uh, all you have to do is reach out. You know you want this. You see, <laughs> I want you to remember this, and not just me kind of fumbling around to try and make it happen. Because the truth is, 
It's kind of like this, but it's kind of not like this because imagine 50 fishing rods and you being surrounded by all of them. That's what's happening in our culture today. And James describes the, uh, the process. Uh, it's fairly predictable. The process of temptation, he says it goes like this. It's gradual. Desire is created. I want, I want that candy bar. And then we feel lured. There's enticement. Something triggers us. We're driven. And then it, there's, it's, it's conceived within us. Things have moved on. In fact, we start to rationalize. We say, I need this. We say, it's okay. Everyone's doing this. And then there's death. There's this sense of spiritual spiritual death, decay, and destruction that comes. But know this, it's gradual. It's often gradual. We don't fall into sin. We fall into temptation. People don't fall, they slide. In the Screwtape Letters, that great classic that C.S. Lewis wrote, Letters Between a Senior Devil and a Junior Devil, the Senior Devil says this, The safest road to hell is the gradual one. The gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. Let me ask this question. Are we, are you, am I currently on a road right now and the incline is gradual and you haven't checked out any mile markers because there aren't any and you know if you carry on that road, destruction is coming which may not ever be repaired. Damage might linger for decades. Is this a junction weekend to stop and realize that there's a battlefield within all of us? It's a battle that needs to be won. Number three. Number three, we all need to know who we are in Christ. We need to know who we are in Christ. Our identity matters. Later in our service, we're going to, break bread together. Why do we break bread? We break bread to remember Jesus. We break bread to remember what's important. We also break bread to remember who we are in Christ. If you're going to stand strong, if I'm going to stand strong in temptation, we need to remember our, our identity. In Luke chapter 3, Jesus was baptized and the father says, this is my son, I'm pleased with him. Look at this, identity is affirmed. Immediately in Luke 4, he's driven into the wilderness and Satan says three times, if you are the son of God. Do you see it? I'm going to word this carefully. Don't get mad with me. I've thought about these words. Heaven says, this is who you are. Satan says, who the hell do you think you are? That's why our identity matters. I've always been a little bewildered by that time in the Old Testament, that, that, that circumcision thing. I know you didn't expect me to talk about that when you came to church this morning, but <laughs> it's in the Bible, okay? So let's get over it. I've kind of wondered why circumcision was invented prior to the invention of anesthetic. That seems to be the, <laughs> the wrong way around to me. And uh, Joshua decided to circumcise all the chaps before they went to the Battle of Jericho. Now, if I'd have been there, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'd have complained. He'd have said, he'd have said line up, because we're going to do a surgery. And I would have said, may I have a word? Is this not a bad idea? We are going to limp around the walls of Jericho. 
from self-inflicted wounds. And Joshua would have said, yeah, but it's, uh, we're going to shout at the walls. I say, you bet your life we're going to shout, dude. He would have said, it's a sign of prophetic identity. I'd have said, excellent, let's just do badges. Honk if you're a happy Hebrew, something along those lines. But why the surgery? Because God's people had to know who they were. And when we know that, we are not afraid of temptation. Martin Luther was right in his hymn. I love this. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. Who are you? Who are you? Your identity in Christ. Maybe you're not a Christian today and it's time to change your identity and become a follower of Jesus. Number four. Number four, with war comes propaganda and madness. With war comes propaganda and madness. Know the truth. It's a lengthy quote, but I think it's really insightful. Listen to what the great Dietrich Bonhoeffer says in his work on temptation. With irresistible power, desire seeks mastery over the flesh. It makes no difference whether it is sexual desire or ambition or vanity or desire for revenge or love of fame and power or greed for money. Joy in God is extinguished in us and we seek all our joy in the creature. At this moment, God is quite unreal to us. He loses all reality and only desire for the creature is real. Satan does not here fill us with hatred of God, but with forgetfulness of God. The lust thus aroused envelops the mind and will of man in deepest darkness. The powers of clear discrimination and of decision are taken from us. The questions present themselves. Is what the flesh desires really sin in this case? Is it really not permitted to me? Yes, expected of me. Now here, in my particular situation, to appease desire, it is here that everything within me rises up against the word of God. Madness! And the madness is taken even further because the whisper says this, this is good for you, this will make you happy. John Piper says that sin gets its power by persuading me to believe that I'll be more happy if I follow it. And it all looks so great. Years ago, our son Richard, when he was about three, we were flying transatlantic. He got bored, so he decided to try and open the emergency exit of the plane. This is not good. I know he couldn't do it, but I was somewhat nervous, nevertheless. So I wandered up. He's got his little hand on the handle, the red handle for warning. And uh, I said, Richard, uh, don't touch the handle. And he asked me that question that three-year-olds are all obsessed with. You were on the plane as well, huh? <laughs> he said, why, Daddy? And I searched for some subtle way to communicate to his fragile three-year-old mind the implications of that which he was about to do. So I said, Richard, if you open that door, we'll all be sucked out to a hideous death. <laughs> My new book on parenting is out soon. <laughs> and he looked at me. And I could see this look in his eyes. He said, Dad, you're such a killjoy. The movie's boring. The food has been lovingly prepared by a demonized chef. I just want to open the door. But I know what's behind the door. 
So, when tempted, know what's behind the door. And, and another lie, another lie is that we're powerless. That's a lie. Oscar Wilde said, I can resist everything except temptation. That's a lie. Is the white flag of passive surrender flying over an area of our lives when we just said, nothing I can do. And it's not true. Number five. Number five, there are no strong people, only people with strengths. There are no strong people, only people with strengths. You know the people who worry me? The people who worry me are the ones who say, I could never mess up like that. Some of us haven't messed up like that, whatever like that represents, because we haven't had the opportunity. Not only that, there's no such thing as a strong person, just people who are strong in some areas. And sometimes our weaknesses are actually components of our strengths. Have you ever stopped to think about that? What are the weaknesses in your life? If you did a risk analysis on you, how would it be? If the devil was plotting to take you out, how would he do it? And where are the weaknesses of your strengths? The tender-hearted soul who's a pushover for manipulation. The solid moral person of principle who has no compassion for others who fail. The independent visionary entrepreneur who's very slow to ask for help. There are no strong people. Only people with strengths. Where are the weaknesses even of your strengths? Number six. Number six, engage brain. Let's engage brain before we act. Let me put this simply. Think about it. Think about it. Think about what is going to happen. Sometimes we rush in and respond to temptation without at all thinking it through. In the screw tape letters, the senior devil says this. These are demons. They say, it, he says, it's funny how mortals always picture us as putting things into their minds. In reality, our best work is done by keeping things out. Are we so surrounding ourselves with noise and distraction and not stopping to think through the implications of the steps we're about to take? Number seven, this will be familiar to some. Number seven, don't say, I've fallen and I can't get up. How many of you are familiar with that? Just raise your hand. Some of you don't know what I'm talking. It's a TV commercial from 100 years ago. I've fallen and I can't get up. Take responsibility. See, we're living in a culture where it seems like people don't want to be responsible for themselves at all. It's always somebody else's fault. The person burns themselves with a cup of coffee and sues the people that served the coffee for 10 million because they got burned. I've shared some of these with you before, but these labels that have been put on food because we're living in a culture where everyone wants to blame someone else. And some of these labels are ridiculous. These are all real. Here's one. This pie will be hot when heated. <laughs> Duh. Here's another one, a label on the bottom, the underside of a pie. <laughs> Do not turn this pie upside down. <laughs> it's a bit late, honey. Um, here's one on children's cough medicine. Children's cough medicine. 
do not drive after taking. <laughs> Step away from the car, little Jimmy. <laughs> a sleeping tablet on a sleeping pill. I love this. Warning, may cause drowsiness. <laughs> Good job. You won the new car. You got there before me. That was great. Here's my personal favorite. Christmas tree lights. Christmas tree lights. These lights are only for use indoors or outdoors. <laughs> As opposed to what? Why is this? It's because we don't want to take responsibility. The devil made me do it. No, he didn't. There's temptation, but there's also capacity in the power of the Holy Spirit to take responsibility and stand. Well, number eight. Number eight, the battle makes us stronger and the day is coming when the war will be over. Thank God. The battle makes us stronger and the day is coming when the war will be over. I love this. William Barclay, the great commentator, he said, temptation is not so much the penalty of humanity as it is the glory of humanity. It is that by which a person is made an athlete of God. Wow. I want to be an athlete in God. I don't want to be succumbing to every passing whim. An athlete has self-control, decisiveness, vision. And as we respond positively to temptation, so that muscle of faith is built. Well, here's some words that you may be familiar with, but they don't occur in most of, your, most of our Bibles. Matthew 6.13, For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You're familiar with those words. But the reality is they don't appear in most Bibles. The New King James carries the words. Most other translations do not. Now, why is that? They are not in the original manuscripts, in most of the original manuscripts. And so most translations don't carry the words. What we do know is this, two things. The early church added these words to their praying. And we also know that these words, we shouldn't worry about praying them because they're completely consistent with words that are in the Bible. Let me illustrate that. First Chronicles 29 and verse 11. Lord, yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You're exalted as head over all. That's completely synonymous with that closing benediction. And then listen to what Paul says to Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, 18. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. So when we pray those words, which we will in a moment, we're praying words, even though there's dispute about where they appear, where they don't, they're completely consistent with Scripture. 
Well, we're going to take some moments to respond now. Before you bow your head, let me tell you that it is highly likely that some of us will look back on this moment, almost 10.53, on a Sunday morning in beautiful Colorado. I want to tell you that for some of us, we're going to look back on this moment as historic. We're going to make some history. Would you bow with me? Father, thank you for this magnificent prayer. Thank you that we can bring us to the prayer as we are, not just as we'd like to be, but as we are, fragile, weak at times, needing you. Lord, as we have looked at temptation, we realize that it comes with propaganda, lies. Holy Spirit, would you break the madness? Would you bring light and revelation? And then would you enable decisiveness that's going to bring good fruit? Let's keep our heads bowed. The question is simply this. There's two questions. Number one, some of us today are on a pathway and we know it's heading to something really bad. We're on the brink of making a disastrous decision. Maybe we've already begun with that decision and it's time to draw back. For a moment this weekend, the madness has lifted and you see it. And I want to beg you. I want to beg you to choose well lest damage is done that may never be undone or may be not repaired for decades in your life, in your family's life. I'm not talking about everyday temptation. I'm talking about big stuff. And if this relates to you, you'll know it relates to you. It's a big junction moment for you. If that's where you're at and you want to choose well with God's help, as our heads are bowed, I'm going to invite you just to raise your right hand. Do it now, please. Right where you are. I'm choosing well. The madness is lifting. I'm seeing clearly. And around the room, people are responding to that. Are there others? You can lower your hands. Keep your heads bowed. It may be that your decision this weekend is to become a follower of Jesus. You want to become a Christian. I'm going to pray a short prayer right now. You can use this prayer to begin the Christian life. This is the junction moment in your life. Are you ready? Whisper this prayer in your heart. Jesus, I come to you. I want to know you. I want to follow you. I want you to take charge. Forgive my sins. Thank you for the cross where you paid the price. Now, living Jesus, I welcome you into my life by faith, not just as my advisor, not even just as my forgiver or even friend, but as my Lord. I surrender, not to myself, not to sin, but to you. I thank you for hearing my prayer. As our heads are still bowed, if you've just prayed that prayer because you want to become a follower of Jesus, 
Would you raise your right hand and hold it there for a moment, please? Do it, please. Right away. And again, looking around. Wonderful to see people responding. You can lower your hand. Please know at the end of our service, our prayer team will be here. They have resources they want to give you. They're free. That will help you with this decision. God bless you in that wonderful choice. Let's sit up together. And hey, some people have just become followers of Jesus. I think that's pretty good. How about you? Thank the Lord. Why don't we... Why don't we share in the words of this prayer together? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's hold that slide up there. Let's declare this truth together. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen.